Hope you all had a blessed Mother's Day and had positive verbal interactions with your mother. <laughs> exchanges, that's right, positive verbal exchanges. If you don't know what that is, go and listen to last week's message. Or if you didn't have it, go listen again to the message. <laughs> but we return to Ephesians this morning. We're in Ephesians 4, and we're going to finish up talking about Paul's section on church life, worthy church life. Remember, Paul has been teaching us how to live like those who have the awesome riches of being in Christ that we learned about in those first three chapters. And one of our worthy responses to God's grace is to use the gifts that Jesus gave us to fulfill our assigned task in his family, which is the church. And we learned in verses 11 and 12 that Jesus gave leaders to the church to teach God's word so that we can be fully equipped to use our gifts. We learn in verses 13 and 14 that our goal is to become a mature congregation, to become just like Jesus. And if our church is on the road to that goal, well then verses 15 and 16 is what our church will look like. So we'll pick it up in verse 12, but our study will be in verses 15 and 16, or verse 11 we'll start. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor-teachers. For, why? For the perfecting, the equipping of the saints, so they can do the work of the ministry, for the work of the ministry. Also for the edifying, the strengthening, building up of the body of Christ. And how long do we need to do that? Well, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of a knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, a mature man, which looks like, it says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we don't remain who we are when we first get saved, which are babes, that we henceforth be no more children or carnal like Paul talked about in our Scripture reading, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But instead, as we're becoming mature, it says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, verse 16 is a very long sentence and is probably very confusing when you read it. We're going to dig in and break it up and, and dissect it so we can understand it correctly. But we start in verse 15. He says, but... Now, that lies in contrast to verse 14. We cannot forget that the idea is while it's possible to remain an immature church that is susceptible to unbiblical ideas in the world around us, when we are on the road to our goal, we become something entirely different. We become instead those who speak the truth in love. In other words, we don't just become a people who know how to avoid all the wrong ideas. We don't just become a people that can say, nope, nope, that can is bloated. That's got something in it I shouldn't be eating. No, we also are able to speak into each other's lives, becoming agents in one another's maturity. That's different. Sometimes you can be those who trip each other up because we're all immature. We're like the blind leading the blind. But the idea is that if we grow out of maturity, we cannot just become those who avoid those stumbles, but we become agents in one another's maturity. And it explains how. We become speakers of truth. We become speakers of truth. 
The phrase speaking in truth here, it's a present continual, which means it's a process of what we're just regularly doing. And not only does it mean to tell the truth, but it, it means to be genuine as a person. In other words, this word means more than just saying the right things. It means we have a genuine desire to live them out. It means that when I talk to you and and trying to encourage you to be in the Word more, to pray, or to love someone that's hard to love, or to forgive someone that's hurt you, or to serve, or whatever it might be, that that's also my heart and my intent in my own life. That's what it means to speak the truth. Now, what is the truth that we speak and we seek to live out? Well, John 17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is truth. It's God's word. When our church is heading towards our goal of being just like Jesus, we speak God's words to each other, and we become examples of living out God's word to each other. We speak God's words to each other, and we become examples of those who live out God's words to each other. Now, it is extremely popular today in the church to talk about being real, about being genuine. However, unfortunately, it is frequently used as an excuse for disobedient behavior. I'm a mess, and I'm not going to pretend to not be a mess, so all of you are just going to have to deal with my mess. That is not what the Word says here when it talks about being genuine. It says we speak the truth in love, in love. Being genuine is not a valid excuse for unchristlike behavior or disobedience. It does not tolerate being those who speak the truth, being genuine, it doesn't tolerate the fact that I lack the traits of love as described in 1 Corinthians 13. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we see the traits of God who is love. And we see here that love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not brag on itself. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not keep accounts of wrong. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails." Now, when we're not feeling that, (laughs) or we're struggling to do that in our interactions with someone or even our interactions with the Lord, being genuine doesn't mean we go, well, this is where I'm at, and you just got to deal with me. Now, some would say, well, so I'm just supposed to show up to church or show up to Bible study or be around my family and just pretend that I'm okay? No. How about repenting? How about repenting? How about acknowledging that it's wrong and it's not okay to stay there and then to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I choose to change. Being genuine means I acknowledge my struggle, but that I also acknowledge the Holy Spirit's power in me to change me. And so within the midst of my struggle, I acknowledge those failings in how I think or treat others and I genuinely repent of them. That is being genuine. You can look at someone and you can say to them, I'm having a hard time. And then you should follow that with, and I'm very sorry I'm taking it out on you. I'm very sorry I'm not treating you like I'm supposed to. And I'm taking that to the Lord in repentance and saying, Lord, I don't want to be this way anymore. I'm choosing to change. 
That's different than just saying, you got to deal with me because I'm a mess right now. Being real is not an excuse to be disobedient or unloving or unkind. Mature believers yield those character flaws to the Lord so He can do His work in changing me. Anybody married here? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you don't have these days in your marriage, but me and Bev have these days where once in a while we're just kind of nipping at each other, kind of nipping at each other. And usually that ends up with Bev at some point coming to me and going, do you even like me? I don't think you like me. At which point I, I realize, okay, well, like at some way you've got to acknowledge where you've not been like Christ. Like in some way you've got to acknowledge that you've not been like Jesus here. You've got you to turn it around. And that's whether I'm feeling it or not. Part of being genuine is being able to look at somebody and go, you know what? I'm treating you incorrectly right now, and that's wrong. It's not okay. Like, I'm a mess right now, and it's not okay. It's not okay. Like, it, that needs to change. And I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm asking you to encourage me and support me as I'm trying to get out of that. I'm trying to get to where I'm supposed to be. I'm trying to, to turn around and, and, and to make that change. I don't know about you, but even when someone's not been kind to me, when they come with that kind of humility, there's, my whole heart is like, well, I'm, I want to jump in the mess with you and, and support you as you're trying to get out of it. That's what Jesus did for us. Jumped in our mess, and then he helped us out of it. He loved us in the midst of it, but he didn't leave us in it. One other thing before we move on. It is often said, make sure you speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love isn't something we strive to do. It's something we become. It's something we become as we are moving towards our goal. There's no exhortation in the word to speak the truth in love. It's who we become because we're becoming more like Jesus when we are headed towards our goal. So when we become a church that's on our way to our goal, number one, we become Speakers of truth, those who speak the truth in love. But number two, we become more like Jesus. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. The word grow here is like all the other earlier verbs in this section of Scripture. They're all in the mood of possibility. It's possible for us to remain an immature church, and it's possible to grow into a mature church. The choice is ours. And so here he says that if we're on our way towards our goal, not only are we going to be those who speak the truth in love, but we're going to be maturing in all things like Christ. The phrase in all things here, it means in every possible way. In every possible way, we can become like Jesus. You know, we read all sorts of things in the, in the Word, you know, particularly in the letters that the letter writers will write, and they'll say, hey, we learned this from Jesus. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but like it talks about how, how Jesus handled persecution, how Jesus handled mistreatment, and it says, hey, we have an example. Let's follow that example. And very often, we can think to ourselves, well, I could never do that. I'm not Jesus. 
But that's the whole point of being equipped and becoming more like Jesus is we can actually become like Him. That was what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.19, that we would know the love of Christ, which is impossible to understand, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. We can be filled with all the fullness of God. Not I, but Christ in me living through me. That's, that's a possibility for us to grow up into Him in every possible way who is the head, the one who is our superior, the one who has the preeminent status, even Christ, our Messiah. Our goal back in verse 13 is to be fully grown, mature, to be like Jesus, that when we take our measure, we look just like Jesus. Now, when we move toward that goal, we do so because we've placed ourselves under solid Bible teaching. We're fulfilling the task God gave us in His family. And so moving toward that goal produces maturity, and in all ways we're becoming more and more like our leader, Jesus. When they first called believers Christians in Antioch, it was not a name that was spoken with positive ideas. It was a negative name, a derogatory name. Oh, you guys, you guys are just trying to be like Jesus. You're a bunch of Christians. It means someone who's trying to be like Jesus. And all the believers in Antioch, when they heard that, they thought, hey, I like that. That's because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to be like Jesus. And so the name stuck. We started calling ourselves Christians. What are you? I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. When we look at who is our head or who has our, the preeminent status at Calvary Chapel Orlando. I hope it's not Pastor Will or Pastor Tom or some other leader in the church. I hope it's Jesus. I hope you're here to find Jesus. I hope you're here to give Jesus to others. Because if Jesus has the highest status in the church, you and I can't go any higher than that. There's no greater goal to pursue Therefore, reaching this goal, being like Jesus, just like him, is the greatest and truest definition of church growth. Is your church growing? Yeah, we're becoming more like Jesus. Now, why is it important to explain that? Because oftentimes when someone asks if your church is growing, they don't mean that. They mean something else. It is easy to define church growth very differently than Paul does here. We can measure it by our church budget or our church attendance or how nice our building looks or how exciting our church services are or by how much we have going on. None of those things are bad. I'm glad there's lots going on here at Cowie Chapel Orlando. I'm glad that we're not broke. I dare say we want to reach every person we can for Christ. We want to disciple every Christian we can with the Word of God. We want to have finances to help others out, to reach out to the community. We want to do everything associated with Calvary Chapel Orlando with our all for the glory of God, certainly. The problem, though, is that it is possible to have all those things I just listed, but not the thing Paul lists in this verse. It is possible to have all those things, but not have the thing Paul says here is true church growth. There are ways to fill seats or raise money or beautify a campus or make a church meeting exciting without us becoming more like Jesus. And so that is why one of the four words we use to describe Calvary Chapel Orlando is grow. 
Learn, love, grow, go. I already mentioned learn, why we put such an emphasis when we studied verses 11 and 12 on the teaching of the Word. Our goal here is when we get together is to learn. But our goal is also not to be just sponges, but to grow. I mean, every once in a while, if you have a kid and they get into the kitchen and they get a hold of the sponge and the soap, and what do they do? It's just cool to put stuff in the sponge, right? Like, it's just fun to put stuff in the sponge. But, I mean, I hope that's not what the person who does the dishes in your house is doing. Like, I hope they're not just coming and just going, yeah, it's great, look at all the soap on this fun. I hope at some point they're scrubbing the dish that needs to be scrubbed. I realize we all use dishwashers these days, but you have that one pot that doesn't come clean in the dishwasher. I know you do. And you got to scrub it. We're not just to be sponges. We do come and receive and fill up. We're not just here to be, be blessed. I mean, we do come to be blessed, but that's not the only reason we're here. We are we're to grow, to mature, to move beyond the, the playfulness or move beyond the, the emotional swings that we talk about in verse 14 where people just roll the dice with our lives, but we become stable and then we can, we can pour into others. Our church strives to be those who take in the Word of God personally, but then we apply it to our lives so we can become mature believers who are more like Jesus. So, when our church is on the road to our goal, we speak the truth in love, we become more like Jesus, and when we are becoming more like Jesus, He connects us to one another in a powerful way. Look at verse 16. From whom? Jesus. Jesus is the source of what comes next. From whom? And we'll take it one part of the sentence at a time, because it's a long one. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. The whole body means the entire congregation. So, Jesus is the source of something for the entire congregation. And what is He the source of? Well, He wants to, it says, make us fitly joined together and compacted. The word fitly joined together, that phrase, it's all one word in the original language, and it means to be made to fit together in a coherent and a compatible manner. To be made to fit together in a coherent and a compatible manner. Every once in a while, my kids have Legos. They like Legos, and they come out and show me what they've made. And every once in a while, they'll come out, and they'll be like, hey, Dad, look at this. And I'm like, what is that? Like, like I have no clue what that is. And then they'll explain it to me, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's really cool. That's neat. And then every once in a while, they'll explain it to me, and I'm going, I still don't see it. Like, you put those Legos together and not in a coherent or compatible manner. We don't want to be a church that somebody's going and goes, what is that? I don't know what that is. We don't want to be a church that people go, why are you even here? Why do you matter? Because there are many who believe church is a waste of time. That the world would be just fine without it. I do that to get them back for how they made fun of me when I would draw things for them when they were little. I remember Joel when Bev's the artist in the family, I am not. And so... She always, Joel loved dolphins, and so she would always ask him, you know, draw me dolphins, or he would always ask her, draw me dolphins. She'd draw, draw these beautiful-looking dolphins. And I remember one time when Joel came to me, he said, Dad, draw me a dolphin. Bev wasn't there, and I said, okay, I'll try. And I drew it, and he laughed at it and said, that's not a dolphin. <laughs> so I get them back when they bring their Legos out. And then compacted. 
Compacted means to cause something to become a single unit. So Jesus' plan is he wants to make us fit together in a coherent and compatible manner so that we become a single unit. Now, both of these words are present participles, which means it's a continuous progress. This is not something that we arrive and then we're here. We've arrived, we've made it. It's a continual process because new people are coming in. People are going home to be with Jesus at times. Sometimes God calls them out to other churches or other ministries, right? So new people are coming in. So it's a constant process of fitting all the pieces together in a coherent and compatible way that we're a single unit moving forward for the kingdom of God. Jesus' plan is to take his church down this path of regular progress toward becoming that cohesive unit. But the next part of this sentence explains that that will only happen when we're committed to worthy church life. It says this happens by, the word by here is a preposition of intermediate agency. In other words, this happens through the following agent. And what's the agent? By that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So now we're going from Jesus' part. He wants to make us into a cohesive unit that all fits together the way we're supposed to, to now our individual parts. So it's through the agent of what? That which every joint supplies, every connecting function or office. Jesus accomplishes this plan by the agent of our participation in that plan. He says, this is your office. This is your function in this unit I'm building. We want to describe it like a machine. Well, every machine has parts that make the machine function as a whole. If one part's not working, when we had an issue with our dryer one time, the belt snapped off the dryer. Seems something very simple, right? A very small thing, a very tiny thing, but the whole dryer didn't function because of that. So we had to fix the belt to get the whole thing to work. All of us have an individual function or part to play. And we need to supply that, which every joint supplies. The word supply just means to make available whatever is necessary to provide support. So whatever your role is that God's given to you, that you're to provide support for the rest of the unit, you have to contribute that. And you do so according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, in, uh, in accordance with the activity required to do your part. Each person in the body of Christ, each person at Calvary Chapel Orlando, needs to do their assigned part to the degree, the measure that God assigned them. Not out of measure. I can't say, well, I want to be the pastor you shouldn't be the pastor. Or, I don't want to be the pastor. Someone else do this job. Neither of those mindsets are partnering with Jesus in this process. But when we yield ourselves to the gifting and assignment God has given to each of us, this takes place. Jesus has his way. We read about it in our scripture reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 9, where he says, you are laborers together with God. Isn't that a crazy thought? There are those who would say, well, no, 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 it's all just God, like he does it all. No, that's not what the Bible says. I mean, in essence, he does it all because he's the one doing it through us, but he doesn't 
take control of our bodies and we become these mind-controlled people that just go out and, well, here's my part to do. I have to choose to participate in that. I have to choose to supply the support that's necessary to do the role that I was assigned. I need to choose to do the work that's required for that role in the measure that God's assigned me to do it. It's my choice. I have to choose to partner with the Lord in that. And it's only as I do so that in that partnership that we are co-laborers with God that Jesus brings us about, that He makes us into this cohesive unit. And so here's where the concept of Calvary Chapel Orlando as a church and each of you, each individual person who calls Calvary Chapel Orlando home, this is where those two things find their harmony. Jesus wants to make us into a unit, but we're lots of people with different giftings and different callings. And so as we submit to that and then put the effort in to do the job God's called us to do, Jesus says he makes us into this beautiful thing. Jesus longs to fit us together in a coherent and compatible manner so that Calvary Chapel Orlando acts as one unit. And he promises that that's his plan for us, but he doesn't do this for us in spite of our will. We've read all throughout verses 11 through 16, they've all made it clear that it's possible for us to remain immature or become mature. So the choice is yours, it's mine, it's our choice. And so for Calvary Chapel Orlando to experience all Jesus promises he will do for us, each of us needs to choose to do our assigned task. Jesus has given every single one of us gifts. If you're born again, that's you. If you're a Christian, that's you. He has given you gifts. We read about that in verse 7. God has works for all of us to do with those gifts. We read about that in chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto the good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And so, if you're a leader, well, then you need to use your gifts to equip the church to do those works. If you're not a leader, well, then you need to use your gifts to do your assigned task from God. But the point is, all of us need to do the part that we're supposed to do. This is our worthy response to all God has done for us. And because of that, any time that one of us says, well, I'm not important, or I'm not needed, or I don't want to do that, <laughs> or, well, I won't be missed. Any time one of us says that, to some degree, our whole church misses out on the awesome thing Jesus wants to make us. Calvary Chapel Orlando doesn't become what Jesus wants to make us. And so this partnership is crucial because not only if we're on the road to maturity, not only do we speak the truth and love to one another, not only do we become more like Christ, but this partnership with the Lord makes us spiritually strong. He says at the end here, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. To make increase just means to cause the growth. In other words, we become a, a self-inducing growth factory. We might have all showed up immature, and we might have needed this start to the process where the church got kick-started, and so they did certain things, and, and as a result, they started to learn and grow. But now the church becomes a, a unit that is strengthening itself. In other words, we're not a drag on each other, we're not tearing each other down, but we're building each other up. We make increase of the body 
unto the edifying, the strengthening, the building up of itself in love. Love is genuine care and commitment, unconditional devotion. Now that make increase is the only verb in this very long wordy verse, which means it's Paul's main point. He says, from the life Jesus brings the whole body, that causes the growth of the body. That's what he wants to do. Jesus wants to bring life to the whole body that causes growth for the whole body. Human bodies are fascinating. When cells become damaged or they die, the body makes new cells to replace them. As my body takes in sustenance, the body produces what it needs to be healthy and to function correctly, ideally, when things are working correctly. And so that tells us here that the church is similar. It's not a building or campus. It's not a set of bylaws. The church is a supernatural living organism. And when we do church the right way, Jesus sustains us by giving us the supernatural ability to produce growth in one another. And if you have grown in Christ, you know you're the byproduct of that. You know that. You know that you would not be, I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for the investment other people made into my life. Now that is an awesome thought. That Jesus promises that if we are doing church the right way, that it gives us supernatural ability to produce growth in each other. It's an awesome thought because even if we don't have lots of money as a church, or even if we don't have lots of freedom in our society, or even if we don't have lots of influence in our society, when we are learning God's Word and we're yielding to how Jesus seeks to mold us into His image, we always have the ability to keep growing. When I was a this is not the first church I've pastored. I pastored another church for 18 years, and that church never grew more than 100 people. I think the very last Easter Sunday we had there, I think we had 103 people. So it was a, a small church, 18 years. Had financial struggles very frequently. I was bivocational most of those years because the church couldn't provide a salary for me. You know, we couldn't do some of the things that you'd like to do because you didn't have the resources or the manpower. And there'd be many times that I would think to myself, like, man, I, I'm a bad pastor, or man, I'm, a, I'm not doing a good job at this, or, you know, our church is not strong, you know, or I should quit. I mean, all sorts of things would come into my head, and, and frequently when I would confess these things to Bev, she would always ask me two things. The first thing she would say is, well, if we took away the financial woes and took away the, the fact we don't have the manpower sometimes for certain things, how would you describe our church? I would say, well, say, things, are, things are good. I said, people are growing. Marriages are being strengthened. Families are stronger. People are growing in Christ. And of course, you know, my own answer would change my mentality. And I'd be like, ah, I see what you did there. I'm focused on the wrong idea of what church growth is about. Then the second thing she would always ask me, she says, well, have you given it your best? Have you given it your all? If there's any way that you can say, that you can't say yes to that, then, well, then we got to keep going, right? Got to keep yielding to the Lord. Keep giving it, giving it more. If we sense this kind of spiritual strength lacking in our church, the danger is to forget well, how we get there. You know, if we ever sense that, then the danger is to forget, well, how do we get back to that or how do we get to that if we've never been there? 
And we get there by being equipped through the teaching of God's Word, by each of us giving it our all to the assigned task that God has called us to, by doing worthy church life. That's how we get there. When we forget how to get there, it becomes very easy to substitute worthy church life with something else. And when we use our own methods to produce a different kind of growth, we might see results that look or even feel like spiritual strength, but it will never be sustainable because it's not supernatural. It's something we created, and therefore it will fade. And the church will begin to spiritually die even if people are attending in droves. Healthy growth, which results in real strength and genuine love, comes from Jesus working in us. And that comes by approaching church life in a way that is worthy of our wonderful position in Christ. No substitute for that kind of church life measures up to that. Amen? Now, as we close up this section on church life, it does bring up an important question. Does our church look like these verses? Not exactly, but I do think we're on the right track. I do think we're moving in the right direction. And so to get to our destination, what we need is we need all of us to be embracing this worthy church life. No one's excluded from that. We need to become a church where everyone sees the value of being equipped. You know, I think you do see that because you're here today. You, cho- you could have been anywhere else today, could have done anything else today, and you chose to be here. So I think you see the value in that. But I would say to you that one Sunday a month or two Sundays a month is probably not going to be enough. <laughs> when we read in the scripture, it says that we're to provoke one another to love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more, getting together even more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the day is approaching? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we need this more. We We need to have more of a desire to grow. If your marriage is struggling, if you're struggling as a family, if your Christian walk is struggling, I'm telling you, not as your pastor who just wants to see you in church more or wants to see you tithe more or wants to see you serve more because we have 18,000 holes in children's ministry. I'm not saying it for that. I'm telling you the answer to those problems is you need more of this. You need more of this, not less of it or not the status quo. If you're struggling in those areas, you need more of this. more than you're currently getting. You need to embrace this worthy church life. We need to become a church where everyone sees the value of being equipped, and we need to become a church also where everyone is doing their assigned task, where everyone's becoming more like Jesus. So my closing question to you as we're going to leave this section of church life and we're going to start getting into just Christian life. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in chapter 4 and a little bit of chapter 5 on what does worthy Christian life look like? How do we interact with the world? How do we interact with our neighbors? How do we interact with one another? We're going to look at that. But before we do that and leave this behind, we don't just want to leave behind and go, yay, cool. We're on to verse 17. Have you embraced your responsibility in the church? 
And are you walking worthy of the great riches you have in Christ by embracing a worthy church life? I can't answer that question for you. I'm not your head. Jesus is. And if you haven't answered that question yes, with a yes, then don't leave today without doing so. Don't just go to verse 17 and go, oh, that was great, worthy church life is interesting, but let's move on. Because if we do, then we miss out. We're not walking worthy of our calling. We have these great riches, therefore let's walk worthy of it. So if we just approach this and we don't answer that question with a yes, I am embracing my responsibility. I am embracing a worthy church life. I am doing what God called me to do. I am desiring to be equipped. If you can't answer yes to that, then before you go today, do some business with the Lord. You know, we'll have a prayer team up here. If you want someone else to pray with you, do that. You know, or find somebody and say, I don't, I don't know if I'm doing that yet. I, I don't know if I can answer yes to that, and I want to. Don't leave today and, and be, be the same as when you came in. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, what a wonderful thing that we are standing here today. What a crazy thing that you've rescued us and saved us and changed us that here we are. We stand as your kids, totally forgiven, raised up to this wonderful position of being in Christ. So, Lord, we don't want to fall short of a life that is compatible, that's worthy, that measures up to this great status we have. You've broken our chains. You've adopted us. You've redeemed us. You've raised us from the dead. So now, Lord, we want to be those who embrace worthy church life. And so you know, Lord, you know where everyone's at today. You know, you know those who might be wrestling with embracing that or who don't know what their role or their task is still. So I pray that you would speak to every heart, even now, Lord, bring to their recollection the things we've studied in your word that you long to bring us to a place where we're a church that speaks the truth of love, that is becoming more like you and that's spiritually strong. As they see maybe some of that lacking in their life, Lord, show them where they can embrace being equipped and doing their role, their assigned role from you more faithfully or with more of their all, that they might grow, that we all might grow and you might in the process of doing that, we might become that cohesive unit that knocks down hell gates for your kingdom. We love you and we submit to you because you're worthy of our trust. In Jesus' name, amen.